Well, it is a special treat to have the Whitakers with us today, and uh, Bob and Annette are here literally from the ends of the earth. Uh, they will tell you more about Swaziland, and um, being a geography nerd like I am, it's a landlocked country in the south of Africa, on the other, on the other near to the other pole of the earth. Is it? It's summer there right now, isn't it? Wow. Imagine that. That feels good. That sounds good. Um, we, we, we love that. So just see, so come back tonight at 6 p.m. and we'll think thoughts of summer in another part of the world, somewhere where they're warm. But um, th- this is a new mission that's exciting. I want to encourage you to, uh, we, we don't always get an opportunity to meet with them face to face. So let me encourage you to take advantage of that tonight. Also, um, Cure has put out their, um, their reports. They're in their 21st year here. If you, uh, speaking of uh, geography, 57 different nations have been reached through Cure, and one of those is Swaziland. So uh, there's a lot of good news to share about um, the things that are going on here. Uh, by the way, we've got the, um, the missions table that's out there now. If, you, if you're seeing that and you're thinking, wait, is it October already? No. Uh, in 2017, we're going to share what's going on with our missions. Rather than just kind of, sort of shove it into, into one month, we're, we're going we're gonna to keep that ever before us uh, all year long. And so I want to encourage you to go over, talk to Josh and Kim Bice. They'll tell you about uh, some of these good works that are going on over there. Uh, and next week, Josh will be sharing news from our, um, from our friends in Southeast Asia. So, you're part of an active kingdom of God. Did you know that? You, you, I mean, not just this congregation, but you and I are part of an active kingdom of God that's doing things in this world. Would you have it any other way? I mean, the alternative is for this to be boring and short and for it to get over with, and then we can all go home and eat chili and watch football. Here, here, amen. Okay, that's fine, but that's nothing. I mean, what we're involved in is this incredible mission that's shaking up the world. It's shaking up a world that's been broken and busted by sin and putting the pieces back the way God wants it to be. And you and I get the privilege of being a part of that. Generation from generation, we see people closer in step with what God is doing. I've been in this long enough now to see people who were little children that are now deciding to go off and spend their lives as missionaries. I've been in this now long enough to see people who were the kid that you couldn't keep quiet in the pew and he's all, you know, rummaging around and the parents are always apologizing for him or for her and now they want to go into ministry. I wasn't preferencing him because, you know, I'm only thinking of guys preaching or something like that or ministry. It's because it's usually the boys that have the hardest time sitting in here. Trust me, I know I was one of them. You and I get to be a part of something amazing. And the, my encouragement to you is don't take that for granted. Because when we get called into His service, 
be ready. Be ready for something amazing to happen. And be ready even though there may be, as, as Bob was saying in his thoughts before the communion, there may be an opposition to the truth because it will happen. And this is why we have so much encouragement from Scripture not to be afraid. Last week we looked at uh, the text from Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And Caleb was alone among the spies encouraging the others, don't be afraid, we can do this. Finally Joshua joins in, but there's still ten, a majority of them that say, no we can't. They suffer not for their courage and risk, they suffer because of their fear. And Jesus encourages us to fear less also. There's a background to the text I want to share with you today. It's going to be on the screen. It'll be Matthew 10. I'll read it in a moment. You can find it if you want. But the background here is just like the text from, from, from Numbers chapter 13. Jesus is sending out 12. There's 12 messengers getting ready to go out on a mission. And Jesus is giving these messengers instructions to announce the kingdom rule of God. To announce that the Messiah is here. To announce that God has initiated His kingdom. The instruction is, go to the house of Israel. Rely on their peace. Rely on their hospitality. Depend on them receiving this message. But above all, He says, do not fear them. And, and at first glance, what an odd thing to say. He's sending them out not among those pagan Gentiles or those worldly people who don't know God. He's sending them out to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, he says, now don't be afraid of them. Let's take a look at the text, starting in verse uh, 5. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter the towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you've received. Freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No no bag for the journey. No extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving... Let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town. Shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils to be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. 
But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you'll not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student's not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and for servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household. So do not be afraid of them, for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak it in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet, not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is the word of God to his twelve that he's sending out with this message. And, and it, it, it ought to, you know, sometimes we go through there and there's some language that's very familiar. You know, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? When's the last time you bought a sparrow? Uh, the point is, it's a rhetorical question. Look, sparrows are cheap little birds. You know, they're not worth much, but they're worth something to God. And if he pays attention to those little birds, he'll, he'll pay attention to you. And so there's an assurance there in the midst of it, and that's pretty good because three times Jesus has to say, don't be afraid. If you were one of the twelve, I think you'd have every right at some point to be asking, why does he keep emphasizing this message about being afraid? If I was one of the twelve, I'd be stopping at the point where he says, when they arrest you, wait, wait, what do you mean when? What about if? Can't we avoid the arrest? Eh, What's going on here? Why is he saying this? There's there's a part of this, talking about this real commitment when we think of our faith. It's calling us to something amazing, but something that can be threatening. There's one point that you really ought to pay attention. It's the point that ought to wake us up, and I don't think we notice it, but if you really think of yourself as a sheep... You're going to notice this part where he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, hold on a second. You're kidding me, right? Sheep? You get get it? Wolves? I I mean, somebody just got it out here. Um, We need a graphic like this. We, we, we need a meme because without one, I think we just gloss over these words. What kind of way is this to rally your troops? Can you imagine we send out our missionaries? And if we said to them, you're sheep 
and we're going to throw you out in the wilderness with the wolves. Hello? We might not stand for that. And yet, I'm going to tell you a truth. Today, when you leave these doors, you're sheep, and you're going out among wolves. Those wolves may reside in your own family. They may reside in the workplace. They may reside in the world. Some of them could even be right here. It happens. We are called to a discipleship, and Jesus will not soften the truth of that to us. See, this is what happens. When we think of following Jesus as being a disciple rather than a religion, then we begin to recognize just how serious this call to commitment is. I said last week, and I want everybody to hear it, and when people ask me how many members we have in this congregation, I'm going to say none. None. We have disciples. Because a, a, a member can stay safe. A member can just sign up for the club. A member can um, say no to the monthly offers that come up. We need people to do this. We need people to get involved in this. Ah, somebody else is going to get that. That one doesn't fit into my collection of ministries, so I'll just pass on that. That's a member attitude. But a disciple attitude is one that pays attention to where God is sending and what God is doing. A disciple attitude says, where are you taking me today, God? It may not be where I want to go, but I guess I shouldn't be afraid. There's a moment in this text there in Matthew 10, 16, where he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And I think that our our worldly response usually is, well, okay, wait a second. Why can't we be wolves then? We'll be wolves. We'll match them fang for fang. Well, that's not the way of the kingdom. That's the sort of tactic that turns lost sheep into wolves. Well, if we're sheep, then shouldn't we be saying, look, okay, if we're going out among wolves, then let's get some body armor. Let's get some protection. Let's get some spiritual armor. There's a difference between being safe and being saved. Because when we're safe, we have to protect ourselves from every attack of a wolf, every challenge, every risk. And and that definition of being safe will get us off mission. I remember in 1986, uh, uh, when the Challenger exploded... And there was talk about the risk of going into space. That it cost too much. And so the media, looking for people to talk about this, they were searching for someone. They found General Chuck Yeager. First guy to break the sound barrier. They asked him, they said, isn't this too much risk? This isn't safe. I mean, we can't guarantee the safety of people going into space. And I remember watching Jaeger, and it was like they were speaking another language to them. He was just staring at them, squinting. And, and he said, Of course it's not safe. This is outer space. This is test flight. These craft are not designed to be safe. We're testing things. We learn from it. We go on. Church, where did we ever buy into the lie that following Jesus means 
that nothing is ever going to happen to us. And where did we ever buy into the idea that following Jesus means that He's our genie and He's going to make life just perfectly, wonderfully comfortable for us because God's got nothing better to do than to make sure that I don't ever sweat. See, that's how lost sheep become wolves, is they buy into those lies. Those are some pretty vicious-looking sheep. And that's why, I mean, he said, I'm sending you out among the lost sheep of Israel. That doesn't sound so bad. Everybody wants to go and rescue the baby lamb. Oh, we found the baby lamb. You know, when a lost puppy or a lost kitty goes out in the neighborhood and people find it, yay, we found the puppy, we found the kitty, we got it back. Little lost lamb. Let's go get the little lost lamb. But he says, I'm sending you out to the lost sheep of Israel, and I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Wait a second. These lambs might be killers is what you're telling me. Yes. And that's the thing. He's not sending them to those wicked old nasty Samaritans. He's not sending them to those weird Gentiles with all their uh, piercings and body art and all that, you know, and their crazy religion. He's sending them out to those respectable lost sheep of Israel who are supposed to know the Bible and know the temple. Lost sheep can be threatening. Because lost sheep are threatened by God's truth. Lost sheep usually are lost because they're a little rebellious at some point. They may not know it. They may have wandered from their shepherd. They may have equated the comfort of their own life, their own sense of control, their own standard of religion. They may have equated that with God's mission. And that's where they misunderstand authority. This isn't my idea. It's right there in the text. Do you see what they'll do? Jesus warned them. He said, they're going to take you before councils. Councils. A friend of mine, a mentor, he had a, he had a plaque on his desk. I'm going to find one of these, and I want one. It said, God so loved the world that he didn't send a committee. And, and, and you know, that to me now is the greater terror in religion. Councils and committees and groups. Sanhedrins. I mean, Jesus knows this because he knows he's going to experience it, and he knows they will too. These councils, these groups, these, these gangs of command, what they end up doing is they end up representing their own institution rather than God's ways. We've got structures of power. We have elders, we have ministers, we have office staff. Last thing that any of them want to be is a council or a Sanhedrin. And let me, just, let me just offer this. Our shepherds have told us, they told us this time last year, we're not a board of, of um, uh, directors. That's not what they want to be. So let's you and I help them not to be that. Because sometimes that's what we do as the sheep. When we say things like, well, I'm going to take this up before the elders. What do you think you're doing, appearing before the Supreme Court? These are, these are fellow, fellow disciples. 
who have wisdom and who have love, and they want to share that with us. We ought to spend every moment we can with the, with the, with the shepherds, with the elders, because some of us will be shepherds and elders too. And all of us shepherd one another and hold one another accountable. Lost sheep have a way of embodying their own legalism because when the truth is spoken, they'll oppose it. You know, we've said it is, it's, a, it's a truism that we will follow God's truth rather than tradition. That just because it's the way it's always been done, we're going to follow God's truth. The paradox is that the doing that is our tradition. <laughs> our tradition is to be non-traditional. It's been enjoyable during my life to see how that works out. I still believe in it. I still think it's possible. But I will tell you that the hardest thing is when you don't recognize that you have traditions, understanding the difference between our traditions, our prejudices, our desires, our decisions, and God's truth. I want a new bumper sticker. You've seen the bumper sticker. It used to be very popular. Uh, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I want one that says, God said it. Sometimes I struggle with it, but I'm going to trust Him anyway. Because that seems to be more the reality. The truth is sometimes a very welcome thing. But sometimes it can be harsh. And that's the nature of truth. The good news of the truth, though, is that even when it's harsh, it's for our healing. It's for our good. Sadly, some will oppose that truth because it means they have to give up their control. And so you may run into these wolves, these lost sheep who've become wolves, or you may be tempted to be wolfish because you're being asked to conform to something other than God. And sometimes the powers that want us to conform look like religion but it's not of God Jesus says the way through this then for us sheep among wolves is to be like serpents and doves there's a lot of animals contained in this the serpent is the symbol of wisdom the dove is the symbol of innocence We're unafraid to tell the truth. That's the only wisdom that we need to have. It doesn't mean that telling the truth gives us license to be rude or gives us license to be arrogant. Uh, you can't get away with just saying or keeping it real if you're going to be a jerk about it. Because then you're, you're underneath a truth that says, well... You need to be as innocent as a dove. It's been interesting when you teach people uh, 
how to behave and you teach people this. I remember teaching someone once, you know, listen, you need to learn to speak the truth. You need to learn to speak up. This was an unassertive person who had trouble doing that. When this person learned to do that, the next thing you know, all of that person's friends are getting upset. Why? Because this person's keeping it real, telling it like it is. Wait a second. That doesn't mean you just tell them everything that you're thinking. Some of that you need to wrestle with and struggle with. That's where the wisdom of the serpent comes in, the wisdom of the snake. Not to be naive, but to be attentive, smart, sharp, and not to be manipulative. Shrewd sort of sounds like we're being called to be manipulative. Jesus said, look, what I whisper in your ear, you tell it from the, from the rooftop. What I tell you in the darkness, you, you tell it in the day. He says, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to hide. Speak the truth. But we speak that truth with the innocence of a dove. Sometimes that's translated as uh, harmless as doves. And I've, I'm afraid that where that translation takes us when we say that we're supposed to be as uh, shrewd as a serpent, that means that we can be uh, you know, pretty sharp, think what we want, Really want to, you know, lower the boom on some people, but I can't hurt them. I just can't hurt them. No, it's not like that at all. The term here is innocence. There is no ill will. That's all been taken care of. And one of the reasons that we often get fearful and fretful and have to confront people is because sometimes we feel like we've got to defend ourselves. We get more worried about what other people think about us than we are concerned about what the Lord thinks about us. We get more concerned about what people think about the church than what God thinks about the church. We get more concerned about the things that, uh, the, the things that we're doing and what people will think about that than asking ourselves if we're being disciples and following God obediently. You know, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ... We don't have to defend ourselves to anyone. That doesn't mean we're not accountable to people. That doesn't mean we don't care about people. It just means that it's not up to us to save and defend ourselves. That's what Jesus is, is teaching his apostles. You're going to be taken into their councils. You're going to be taken in front of their rulers. Don't worry about your defense. Sometimes we can worry ourselves. We can, uh, you know, we can, we can chase after um, problems. They call it borrowing trouble. I've always wondered, where do you borrow trouble? You know, I've never heard that phrase used in any other way other than to say, I think we're borrowing trouble here. Has anyone ever come up to you and said, hey, I see you got some troubles there. Could I borrow those from you? I need some troubles. We're borrowing troubles from the future. We borrow troubles from the what-ifs. And we don't know that that's going to happen. Jesus is telling his followers, don't borrow trouble about going to all these councils and kings. The Spirit will give you what to say. Because the Spirit is truth. The Spirit will equip you. The Spirit. If you'll speak the truth as you know it, you have nothing, you have nothing to defend. And you have nothing to fear. At the end of this teaching, Jesus says, those who seek to save their lives, will lose it. But those who lose their lives, for my sake and for the sake of the kingdom, will find it. Think about that. That's a bit counterintuitive. 
We're taught to be survivalists. We're taught to protect ourselves. Someone needs to figure out what the actual percentage is of reality shows where people are preparing for doomsday. There's, there's some unknown number of people. You know, if you just listen to talk radio sometimes, it's like you better store up you know, tons of food. Right up here in Branson, Jim Baker. You remember him, the old PTL guy? He's got a ridiculous ministry of selling people these big old buckets to prepare for disaster. God's going to bring disaster. And what you've got to do is you've got to buy up these big old buckets of uh, food from him. I mean, it's like, it's like more broccoli and cheese than you'll ever eat, okay, in your lifetime. But, oh, give him $2,500 and you'll get that food. And guess what? You'll be protected when the apocalypse comes. Hey, folks, when God calls it and it's over, we're not going to need buckets of food, okay? That's the last thing you're going to be wanting. But people will store that up. Why? Because of that fear of preservation. And Jim Baker's playing into that to get people to buy those buckets of food. Am I being too harsh on old Jim? I don't mind talking to him about it. I'm sure he didn't want to hear from me. But I think it's wrong. I just think it's wrong. And I don't think that that's what the gospel's about. Now, if people want to buy big old buckets of food, that's their business. I have no problem with that. But don't say that that's God's will. Don't do that. Because I don't think God supports that. When we try to, in fact, God says, when we try to save our lives in such ways, and maybe food buckets are ridiculous, but you know, you and I are constantly thinking, well, how do I protect my own? How do I protect my reputation? How do I control my own living? How do we protect the reputation of the church? How do we control these things? Guess what? God is saying, you need to give that up, and you need to risk for me. And if you'll risk for me, I'll take care of all that. I will defend you. Church, what this means is, these aren't just ideas. These are the things that you and I are going to be called to do. Because I'm very hopeful that as we move forward, that we're not afraid of risking for God. I'm not talking about risking so that we can, you know, just be risky. There's no point in that. But I'm talking about being willing to step out for God and be obedient to Him. And if that means... That that sort of faithfulness is opposed by those who do not respect the truth. So be it. So be it. We'll be obedient to God. As we said last week, it's not just that we need to fear, not fear at all, but we need to fear less. And Jesus in here tells them three times, do not fear, do not fear. But one time he tells them to fear. One time. Fear what? He says, fear the one who can destroy the body and the spirit. I love it that Bob amends that because one of the first stories that I heard is I I got to meet the Whitakers. You know, they, uh, if you don't know their story, and and they may share some of that tonight, but it's it's really the story of their last mission effort in Nigeria. And uh, many of us heard the news of Bob and Annette were both injured when kidnappers came to their home. And Bob was kidnapped, and, and I, he, he refreshed me on that story this week. One of the kidnappers said, you know, I'm a, I'm a hardened criminal. And, of course, all they want is money. They want money. And he says, you know, I'm a hardened criminal. And he says, you know, I can shoot you, and I can throw your body out there in the, in the cassava patch. And, and, uh, and Bob said, taking his words from Scripture, yes, you can kill my body, but you can't touch my spirit. You can't touch my soul. Now, that becomes very vivid in a life-and-death situation. But church, I want you to know that you and I are facing that dilemma all the time. 
that there are people who want to offer us a future. There are people who want to offer us value for all the wrong reasons. Because of the way the relationships we have, the way we spend our time, the priorities that we spend. And you and I will be chasing after that value that those powers and those institutions give to us. And this is where the message of Jesus says, stop worrying about them. They may touch your livelihood. They may, you know, there may be forces that can affect your health. There may be forces that can affect your, your, your paycheck, your pocketbook, your life, the place you live. But none of the forces in this world can affect your soul. Only God has that privilege. And by the way, it's not an either-or. It's a both. God is the creator of both body and spirit. One of the messages of the cross is that the cross is the Roman Empire's ability. It's our empire. It's our empire's ability to kill. And there are so many powers that we have at our disposal that can kill. But how many can create life? Even life where there is death. Only God alone can do that. So, we need to be worthy to the one who's worthy of our trust. God is worthy of our trust. But I want us to know that God did not spend His time trying to prove to us that He's worthy. He's asking us to be worthy because He is worthy of our trust. I have an invitation for you today. I have a few invitations. I want you to hear these. And you may think this is the invitation. No, it's not. It's, it's an invitation from the Spirit, from God. Last week, I asked you to do your homework on Numbers 13 and 14. I hope you did. There's still time. There's still time. We're accepting it. The due date is as long as you're here. Keep dwelling on that text. I want you to dwell on this teaching as well. And not just today, but let us as a congregation dwell on this teaching moving forward. Because I think that in Matthew 10, Jesus is saying something very important for us as a congregation. Let's ask what it means to fear less and to grow in our fearlessness and our faithfulness. Because it's going to impact us. It's going to impact us in the ways that we spend our time and spend our money and spend our lives. Yeah. Jesus is meddling in our lives. Because you and I have meddled our, muddled our lives all up. And He needs to set it right. It's not just about your ticket to heaven. It's about discipleship. There was an elders meeting this week. I was there. John Priester was there. We had a little discussion with uh, them. Uh, we had a discussion in our staff meeting last Tuesday. We thought it'd be a good thing, since we have the opportunity of a fifth Sunday on January 29th and then also on April 30th. What if we took those 90 days between those two fifth Sundays and just marked those out like, uh, you know, like two ends, two, two end goals, okay? And what if we said, how are we going to move forward between January 29th and April 30th? And so I'm giving you the early word. You'll hear more about this. We're calling everybody together on that evening fellowship on January 29th. And what we want you to do is we want you to think about 
how you can be involved in growth during those 90 days. Spiritual growth. Who can you encourage? How can you be encouraged? How can you fellowship with one another? Oh, we got so many opportunities in this church. We're going to tell you all about them. You say, you, you know, guys like you, Benjamin, you need to do a better job of communicating that. Accept it. I accept the blame. I'm gonna, give me the 29th, and we'll see what we can do about that. Okay? But, but again, there's possibilities. This is why we're called to be church. We'll tell you more about that, but I want you to be thinking seriously about your spiritual growth because your growth, it it matters to God. It's the life that you give Him. Today, just for today, your invitation right now, because this is what we come together to do in worship. Who needs to be encouraged today? Our shepherds, they don't want to be the board of directors. They don't want to be the council. They want to be a shepherd And so they make themselves available to pray with you. There's a room right through there that has pews just like these. You can go there. You can pray with some of them. There will be some of them standing right down here while we're singing this song. You can come down here. Just tell them you want their prayers. Maybe the first step for you in being a disciple is that watery step of baptism. That's the birth into a new life of discipleship. Well, If you've got questions, go ahead and ask them. Would everybody stand up? Everybody stand up. Pray with me. Father, if there are any here today who need this moment of encouragement, I pray that your spirit will give it to them privately or that if they need it, if they need to move forward or lean over to the person that they're talking to and say that they need that encouragement, Or if they need to come down here and talk to one of these elders, and that can be a scary thing. I pray that they'll not be afraid of that risk. But, Father, you know them. You know what's appropriate. And I just ask that none of us would pass up the opportunity to grow spiritually and not worry about what anybody's thinking, but to focus totally on being your disciple. And, Father, help us not to be afraid. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Logan will lead us in that song. If you need to respond, let us know.